Blessed be, listeners. Jinx Monsoon here with another episode of Hi Jinx with Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is prolific author and wonderful witch lady Pam Grossman, who's going to tell us all about what it's like to be a modern-day witch in a modern-day world. Hunker down and sink your teeth into some new Hi Jinx! Forever! Dog! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by author, curator, and podcast host, Pam Grossman. Hi Pam. Hi Jinx. Perfect. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I am spectacular. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Yes, our our friendship began, oh my gosh, it must have been something like two or three years ago um, when you had me as a guest on um, uh, your podcast, um, the Witch Wave podcast. And um, I think that was the first time my, my uh, drag and witch self got to collide publicly in a in an accessible forum for other people to listen to, and since then it's just been all witch all the time with me. So. Yes, I am so honored that I got to help you come out of the broom closet. So thank you for trusting me with that. It was it was a great conversation. What a great phrase. I'm I'm going to be using that all the time now. Cons- uh, as RuPaul would say, consider that stolen. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be in keeping with uh, the tradition because I stole it from someone else, Perfect. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> so um, as I mentioned, you are an author, a curator, a podcast host, and also a practicing witch. And I've brought up witchcraft here and there um, on this podcast um, already. And it's one of those things where I always, I say what witchcraft means to me. And then I have this innate fear that someone in the witch community will hear my description of witchcraft and be like, Jinx doesn't know what she's talking. <laughs> I just gave her an old <laughs> hag voice. Jinx doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, so that's, that's a always... good, that's a good like crone witch voice. I like yeah. it, Jinx. Um, that's always my fear. So, um, but that's just, you know, I'm a Virgo. I'm going to assume I do everything wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why don't you, for our listeners, tell us what modern day witchcraft means to you and what does it mean to be a practicing witch yourself? Oh my goodness. We're going to start with such a towering question. But let's let me get it out in. of the way. Yeah. <laughs> let's just get, get it out of the way. Um, so it's interesting. I, I often find that talking about witchcraft is easier when I start by talking about the witch as an archetype. Mm-hmm. Because I think people don't fully understand that. Yes, there are people like you, Jinx, and myself who identify as witches, 
But there is a long history of people for whom the word witch was a negative epithet and was a word that was used to persecute, silence, at times murder people, mostly women, but certainly people across the gender spectrum. And so for me, a witch is a figure who is a carrier of divine feminine energy. And that's a really elastic Mm -hmm. term, I know, an elastic description, but I think it's the one that kind of makes the most sense because, as you know, Jinx, you and I identify as witches for literal spiritual reasons. Mm -hmm. We cast spells, we have altars, we, you know, hang out with the moon, all that good (laughs) stuff. But there are lots of people for whom the word witch is a political identifier. You know, it's another way of them owning their feminism, their intersectional feminism, or their, you know, their status as an outsider or a marginalized being. And I think those are really valid ways to enter into the world of witchery, too. My diplomatic response when someone asks me about being a witch, I always say, well, really a big part of being a witch or practicing witchcraft is just the conscious decision to do so. You know, I, I I love knowing that there are people who use it for political reasons, but I also feel for myself, I've always thought of it more as a philosophy and as a worldview and definitely not so much a religion. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of combining my spirituality with my worldview in the way that makes the most sense to me. And um, I oftentimes tell people, I think a lot of us practice magic in different ways. And becoming a witch is really just deciding to be conscious to the ways that you practice magic and and build rituals and um, celebrations, if you want, around the way that you practice magic and just kind of becoming conscious to that rather than passive to that. Is that, am I leading everyone on the wrong path? <laughs> I mean, yes, but not for that reason, Jinx. <laughs> But yeah, I I think that's a gorgeous kind of definition and way of speaking about something that's really hard to put into words, right? Mm -hmm. Because spiritual experiences, magical experiences are ineffable. They're hard to put words on. And I feel like, you know, when someone tells you their dream and it's fucking boring to listen to, but I'm sure it was like amazing for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's how I feel when I'm talking about witchcraft because it's such a subjective experience having these magical transformative moments or having spells that I know worked, but mm-hmm. then you try to explain it to someone and you just sound like a fucking asshole, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me... Um, I think I think you did as good of a definition as anybody could. <laughs> oh, thank you. You heard it here, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I got the witch seal of approval from Pam Grossman. Um, I want to know how long have you been practicing witchcraft, and and when did you self-identifying as a witch? <laughs> so. There are a lot of layers to this question. Let me be as <laughs> succinct as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I started practicing witchcraft when I was very, very young. And I think that most kids practice witchcraft mm-hmm. because for me, entering that state of 
liminality, of play, of unbridled imagination is that state of consciousness that one must enter into when one is making magic. And so kids do this really intuitively. And I certainly was one of those kids who was like out in the woods, casting little spells, communing with nature spirits, you know, Mm -hmm. all of it. But I more formally got into witchcraft when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I was a very, you know, stereotypical New Jersey mall goth adjacent <laughs> kind of kid, right? I loved to read. I loved anything having to do with magic, mythology, witchcraft. And, you know, there were some occult sections of, mm-hmm. you know, stores like B. Dalton and Walden Books. RIP, you know, all the mall bookstores. And then there were some cool towns that when I was really lucky, I would get my parents or friends to drive me to. Um, And those were the towns that had new age stores and Mm -hmm. occult stores. And I started, you know, experimenting with spell books. But all of that was really private. Like I thought of myself as a witch for many, many years, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s and started practicing with a coven and found a teacher that I felt emboldened to use the word publicly. Yeah, that's lovely. And I have to say, I relate so much to your own story. I I feel, I think my first um, act of witchcraft was um, beginning my crystal collection at like age seven or eight. I was very young when I started collecting crystals. And I didn't know anything about crystals other than I I thought they were beautiful and I thought one day I'll find a crystal that gives me magic powers. And so I was collecting all the crystals that I found, whether I found them in nature or whether I, um, you know, got someone to buy me a crystal at a store. Um, And (laughs) I think I even accidentally um, got a bag of rock candy thinking it was crystals. (laughs) I mean, they're magical in their own way. Come on. They certainly shift your consciousness. (laughs) I think as a little kid, you think of magic as, you know, I thought of it as, you know, lights would be shooting from my fingers or I'd be able to move things with my mind. But um, as an adult now, I think of magic much more pragmatically, I guess. Um, I've always, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I've always um, strived to find the balance of Um, having room in my life for science and quote-unquote logic and things that make sense easily, um, but still leaving room in my life for spirituality, for um, openness to the unknown, and then magic, which you can't necessarily see, but you can feel when you are open to it. And that's when I normally tell people, you know, like if they're... um, if they don't know how to define their spirituality and they don't want to be aligned with a religion, I always say, well, have you looked into witchcraft? Because I bet it's different from what you were told it was. Um. (laughs) Yes, I'm nodding vigorously. Um, And I think, you know, I, I find that a lot of people who gravitate towards witchcraft are often, not always, but often turning away from some patriarchal, oppressive religion of origin that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a wonderful alternative to a lot of the religions that some of us were raised with that just didn't center 
feminine power. And I'm using that word feminine very broadly to include mm-hmm. all genders, but, yes. you know, basically anti-patriarchal power yeah. or counter-patriarchal power. <laughs> and um, so, so yeah, I, I absolutely think that witchcraft is becoming more popular because more and more people are longing for spirituality and mystery and magic and awakening. And yet, you know, so many religions have made them feel ashamed or othered or small. And, and that's, I think, you know, I'm so sorry for those people who have felt that pain, but I'm so happy that there is this wonderful alternative. But I want to be clear that there Mm -hmm. are many people who still identify as Christian or, you know, sometimes I'm kind of being cheeky and I say I'm Jewish because (laughs) I was raised Jewish. It's not like I handed in that card or something. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, it really is a a wonderful modifier too. Mm -hmm. You can add the word witch onto any identity that you may hold. You don't have to reject one part of yourself or one religion to become Mm -hmm. a witch. It works compatibly with a lot of other identities that we hold. And I think that's a big, that's a big thing um, that is counter to what we've been taught, especially, you know, depictions of witches in pop culture. You know, there's a lot of really wonderful um, depictions of witches. There's a lot of uh, uh, scary and horror based (laughs) depictions of witches. And then I think there's also, um, you know, it's, it's trending right now. Witchcraft is trending in a way where lots of shows are including magic and mystical realism and different interpretations of witchcraft. What did you think witchcraft was as a child? And were you taught to stay away from it as I was? <laughs> you know, I was taught that witchcraft was imaginary, you know? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the witchcraft I was exposed to was in books I was reading, but it was it was kind of positioned as this is fairy tale, this is pretend. Mm-hmm. And so the unlearning that I had to do was around the fact that I got to define witchcraft for myself mm-hmm. and also that it has validity because, you know, one of the things I, I have started thinking to myself a lot lately is like, magic is embarrassing, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> because admitting that you believe in magic to some degree mm-hmm. sounds or can sound a little foolish. It can sound like you're immature or childlike or yeah, like you don't believe in science or vaccines. And, mm-hmm. and I certainly do believe in those things. Um, but but for me, it was more about unlearning shame around the fact that I really believed in something that a lot of people think is just pretend or juvenile. I was very fortunate that in that I was raised by two very artistic, switched on, like very loving parents. Um, You know, they are Jewish and Judaism is a you know, big part of their identity. They're not. It's been around a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a time-tested religion. Um, but you know, it's not like we were. We didn't keep kosher. Like we weren't Mm -hmm. like super 
Orthodox or anything like that. We were what I call flexi Jews. Like we like <laughs> did the holidays and I went to Hebrew school. I had a bat mitzvah, but it wasn't hardcore. Yeah. And so my folks were very just into like me being myself and they were really encouraging of it. I think they were a little nervous when I started briefly flirting with like the satanic Bible and, you know, yeah. some of the more like, ooh, Satan stuff, which <laughs> honestly isn't really my bag, but I think it's kind mm-hmm. of a rite of passage for any weirdo teenager to like <laughs> yeah. flirt with the devil a little bit and <laughs> see, see what's going on over there. Cause those parties look fun, man. Let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> but yeah, it's not quite the flavor of witchcraft that I'm into, but you know, for people who, there are people for whom like the devil is not actually this symbol of evil, mm-hmm. but rather this symbol of like liberation yeah. and, you know, feminism and social justice and queerness. And so I'm I'm into that reframing of the devil, but actually <laughs> like people who think that witchcraft is just made up of like child murdering, you know, yeah torturing horrible diabolical people they're just wrong and and those rumors yeah that's where we get into the patriarchal influence on how we perceive witchcraft and that's exactly (laughs) right and and basically there's just been a very long hundreds of years old negative pr campaign (laughs) by mostly the church Mm -hmm. that says that all witches you know um, have signed a pact with the devil and they kill babies and all of this awful stuff. And none of that is true. I have to say, I always feel very comfortable um, talking with you about witchcraft because of what you said. Like, <laughs> feeling there's a inherent embarrassment with it. And it's something I've felt my whole life when my aunt, who was very spiritually impactful on me my whole life and taught me all about um, different religions from around the world. You know, she taught me a lot about Eastern religions and philosophies at a very early age, but she gets this kind of like um, uh, emphatic passion in her when she's speaking about it. And I always just thought, oh my gosh, Mimi, you're so weird. Like, And I always refer to her as my hippie woo-woo relative. And that's kind of a way of like, apologizing to my friends now before you meet my aunt you have to know she's gonna she's gonna be talking to my dead grandparents like at some point in our hanging out with her and she's going to (laughs) reference the last time my grandma who's been dead for like 10 years now my grandma will have undoubtedly said something to her recently that she'll bring up and (laughs) because my aunt still I mean she fully communes with um ghosts in her life and my partner put it in the most loving way He's like, I've never met anyone where when I see them talking about ghosts and see them saying that they're communing with angels on a daily basis and stuff like that, where I actually like, I might not believe in that. But when I look at her talking about it, it's absolutely real for her. So now I suddenly believe in ghosts, you know, (laughs) like there's no hint of irony. There's no hint of. Um, facetiousness with her. It's absolutely real. And um, my aunt has also almost died multiple times in life, and she's had a, a bevy of health problems throughout her life. And so mm-hmm. if anyone could communicate with ghosts, I would think it would be my aunt, who's been at, at death's threshold <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> but 
I think one of the ways that I've become comfortable and proud to talk about my own practice of witchcraft is that there can still be a sense of humor in it. And there can still be kind of like a tongue-in-cheek nature about it. And I think part of that is just how how we, it's part of reclaiming it from that patriarchal smear campaign that you mentioned. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So there's a phrase that I use way too often, but it's reverent irreverence. <laughs> and people who can hold both of those opposites at the same time in their work and in their being are the people I'm always most attracted to. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the reasons I love you so much, Jinx, because your work has a lot of sincerity and vulnerability and skill in it, but you're also fucking funny and don't take it too <laughs> seriously. And it's both of those things because life is literally deadly serious, but you can't get through it without laughing about it, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, when it comes to witchcraft, I also think that's part of the archetype because the witch is a trickster. She's yeah. a mischief maker and a shapeshifter. And so <laughs> I actually think you're honoring the archetype <laughs> by not taking it too seriously all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't take anything too seriously in my life or then... Uh, I mean, when I take things seriously, they stop being fun. And sometimes, you know, not everything can be fun. And sometimes, you know, there's very serious issues we have to attend to. But when it comes to my work, um, I I feel like people are more um, open and receptive to new ideas if it's um, presented to them in a lighthearted and humorous way when possible. Um and of course, you know, you take everything with a grain of salt because <laughs> not every tactic works for every situation. Of course, um, of course. Speaking about this, um, this patriarchal smear campaign against witches, yes. I know a few examples where um, I know that uh, midwives were called witches when the male doctors wanted to take over the profession of delivering babies. And I know that um, uh, female brewers were called witches. And it, you know, like if you look back in history, there's lots of examples of the women being deemed witches and being um, persecuted were just women who had careers that men wanted to dominate, and they found a way to take those careers away from them. Um, do you have any further examples of this for our listeners who are um, uh, new to this new to this concept? <laughs> well, what comes to mind for me is actually contemporary examples, because mm -hmm. if you look at any female politician on either mm -hmm. side of the aisle and you Google her name and the word witch, you will find images of her photoshopped with like green skin and flying monkeys. It's like any ambitious woman or any woman who owns her own power, people still use the word witch to shame her or make her seem either threatening or foolish. And and that's what I find so interesting is when people are talking negatively about witches or witchcraft or women, they tend to either trivialize them or sensationalize them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's either we can't take them seriously or they're going to be the downfall of society, <laughs> you yes. know, and nothing in between. And so, you know, I really see the witch as this 
this kind of vessel to hold all of the complexity and the full spectrum of feminine energy and feminine expression that we are capable of. Um, so yeah, the politicians are the ones that always get me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember growing up just multiple times, um, hearing, Hillary Clinton referred to as a witch or the devil or working with the devil. And I've never understood why um, this one woman is so frequently painted as evil when, I mean, like, like I need to explain it, but (laughs) when she's participating in the exact same career and using all the same tactics that the men labeling her a witch um, are using themselves. And it's that doubled standard that um, I think is what brings so much joy in reclaiming the word witch and like using the word witch in a celebration because it's like it's like when I um, reclaim the word fag, you know, it's like I, I find a joy in taking a word that was used to hurt me and then showing that person, oh, watch me use it myself and rob you of all power of hurting me. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. There's an alchemy to it. And Mm -hmm. actually, there's kind of a term for doing that in magic. There's this word called apotropaic magic. That means it's protective magic. And often in apotropaic magic, one is using the iconography of something scary to protect oneself. So I think about like the Medusa head. Mm. Medusa's head has traditionally been used you know, worn as a piece of jewelry or hung above a doorway, kind of in the same way like a gargoyle is supposed Mm -hmm. to protect a church, right? It's like you take something scary and you turn it against the things that you are scared of, and Mm -hmm. then it becomes something that works for you instead of against you. And I think there's something really powerful to that. I think, yeah, I I think a lot of drag queens are doing that. (laughs) <laughs> I do too. I sincerely do too. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think there's um you know drag queens um using beauty as um armor but we also um are seeing the rise in popularity with drag queens who are not striving to be gorgeous but striving to be um uh, sometimes jarring to <laughs> to look at yes. Um, yes. using makeup and costumery as a suit of armor, whether you're presenting something very glamorous or you're more of a shock queen or more of a horror based queen. Um, it's it's weaponizing your femininity against your um, attackers. And I really love that about drag. <laughs> I do, too. And that's why I loved talking to you on the witch wave, because you're someone for whom I really see embodies the art of drag also as part of your own magic making. Like mm. when I look at you, Jinx, and the work that you do, I don't really see these bifurcations of like witch over here and drag queen over here. I feel yeah. like drag <laughs> is magic and you really embody that beautifully. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And you can make my check out to Pam Grossman, two S's. (laughs) 
You studied cultural anthropology, art history, and comparative religion. Were you studying witchcraft along with all of that? Did you find witchcraft through these studies, or were these studies in support of your interest in witchcraft? <laughs> how how did you mix all of these things together um, to to get to where you are today? Yeah, so I went to NYU, which um, has a lot of problems. But one of the <laughs> wonderful things about it when I was a student there was we really did have some tremendous professors. And in the anthropology department, we had a few professors that specialized in religion and witchcraft and that excited me so much because until I got to college, I didn't realize that this was something you could study with any kind of scholarship. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not like I went to Hogwarts and they taught me how to cast spells, but, <laughs> you know, that would have been amazing. But rather <laughs> it taught me that, you know, there is this long lineage of magic making that humanity is, 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 part of and that humanity has done um, for many thousands of years. And, you know, as I said before, not not everyone who's practiced magic would even want to be called a witch because that mm -hmm. is such a charged word. And yet, you know, as a student, it really was validating to feel like, oh, wait a second. So this thing that I just naturally love and gravitate towards and practice privately, mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, this is a very, like, normal human thing to do. It's something, like, people have been doing forever and still do. It, it just felt very validating. And, you know, now it's really exciting to see there are universities that actually have special, you know, kind of focuses in esotericism and witchcraft and magic and all of that. That did not exist when I was a student. I really had to cobble together kind of my own academic path. Um, and so the reason I chose to study anthropology, art history, religious studies, and also creative writing was because I was just trying to basically study the occult. <laughs> and so there were just like one class in the art department and one class here and one class there that together kind of helped um, lead me on a more, I suppose you could say, scholarly path mm -hmm. into the history of the witch and the modern practice of witchcraft. But that was happening in tandem with me also just like casting my little spells yeah. and everything in my <laughs> dorm room, you know? So you found a way to legitimize your your secret practice of witchcraft, and now <laughs> that is your career. That you, you're a, you're a professional witch. You're a business witch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You've written two books. Um, what is a witch um, that came out in 2016 and waking the witch reflections on women, magic, and power in 2019. Um, are you able to tell us just a like a, a little brief description of these two books and how they differ from one another and um, um, what you like most about the books you've already put out? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Such a good question. Um, the first book you mentioned, What is a Witch, is I would say it lives more in the world of like comic books or illustrated <laughs> books. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, a fully illustrated book. Um I did the text for it and the artists. It's actually a team. It's a husband and wife, but they work under the name 
Tin Can Forest, and they are some of the most gifted artists and illustrators I've ever seen. And so I consider what is a witch, this is very fucking pretentious, but I I call it an illustrated incantation. (laughs) There you go. And it's basically kind of a poem or um, a way of just celebrating the archetype of the witch in a more lyrical way and that it has these gorgeous illustrations. My next book is a proper nonfiction book, um, Mm -hmm. and that is Waking the Witch. And that's the book... frankly, that kind of sums up everything that we've been talking about Mm -hmm. already. It's my exploration of the archetype of the witch. And really, it's me trying to parse how the witch went from this maligned figure to Mm -hmm. an aspirational figure Mm -hmm. and tracing how that happened and also celebrating how that happened for me in my own life. Um, What I like about both books (laughs) is... You know, I have so many interests. I love art. Uh, You mentioned I'm a curator and and visual art and visual culture is a huge part of what sets me on fire. Not Mm -hmm. literally, please don't get any ideas. Um, But, you know, so getting to collaborate with artists that I'm such a big fan of was just a dream come true. And then the second book, honestly, what's been so wonderful is the community that's built around it. Um, You know this, Jenks. Like, one of the cool things about putting your work out in the world is you find kindred spirits who Mm -hmm. are like, oh, my goodness, like, I resonate with this so much. And um, so it's been really wonderful to, you know, find the others, as (laughs) Timothy Leary famously said. (laughs) And Jinx, can I be obnoxious and plug my next book, which is coming out soon? Yes, tell us about it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the amazing art book publisher, Tashin Books, I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with, like, they're they're like the the leading art book publishers Mm -hmm. in the world. They do the best books. They have a series called the Library of Esoterica. And the first volume of the series was all about tarot and visual culture. The second one was all about astrology and visual culture. And Lil Pammy G is the (laughs) co-editor of their forthcoming third volume, which is called Witchcraft. And it is all about witchcraft and visual culture. So that'll be coming out most likely late summer maybe early fall of this year. So very exciting. Perfect. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And while we're on the topic of witch literature, um, do you have any other books to recommend for people new to witchcraft, people um, wishing to um, further explore witchcraft? Um, You can give us maybe a a beginner book, an intermediate book, and then uh, one more advanced book. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let me see off the top of my head. I have so many witch author friends that I'm always like, shit, who am I going to offend by not mentioning? Um, But in terms of if you're just looking for a really good place to start in terms of casting spells – I love pretty much any book by my friend Judica Illes. She's She writes these huge books. Um, I'm looking at my shelf behind me. There's one called The Encyclopedia of Witchcraft. Mm-hmm. There's one that's called something like The Encyclopedia of a Thousand Spells or something. We got what both I love, books and you do? I, I reference them often. <laughs> I mean, what I love about Judica, you know, she is um, 
a more seasoned witch. She's mm-hmm. been she's been around a few more moons than I have, <laughs> but she is uh, she just has a really broad view of magic. It's really well researched, but it's also super accessible. So she's really great just in terms of the practice of spellcraft. Um, you know, I love the book. This is like an, a 1970s classic, but for anyone who's interested in, you know, feminine goddessy witchcraft, starting with the OG, Starhawk mm-hmm. is a really good place to start. She's written lots of books. Her most famous book is called The Spiral Dance, and mm-hmm. I bet your aunt would love her. <laughs> it's very, you know, crunchy, witchy. Mm-hmm. This is late 70s feminist witchcraft, but um, it's a very foundational text, so I, I love recommending that one. Um what else do I have on my shelf? And if you're interested in more of the kind of stuff that I've been writing about, my friend Kristen Soleil has a fabulous, well, she has lots of great books, uh, but her first book, Witches, Sluts, Feminists, <laughs> is an excellent primer for all things witchy, slutty, and feminist, um, and just unpacks the archetype of the witch, really from a stance of, you know, how we shamed female, or I should say feminine, pardon me, mm-hmm. sexuality. Yes. And um, and how that and the archetype of the witch have evolved. Yeah. I like combining the personal account witchcraft books with the encyclopedia books that you mentioned, because sometimes I get an idea of what my next spell needs to be by reading, say, one of your books. And then I go to the encyclopedia and I'm able to like, okay, I need a protection spell or I need a like a a way forward spell. And I oftentimes, you know, will kind of... uh, take what I learned from one spell and maybe sometimes make up my own spell or I I learn how to supplement things if I don't have all the right ingredients or um, circumstances aren't ideal for one spell. I can take something I learned from another spell and kind of combine them. And it feels very intuitive in that way. (laughs) Jinx. And, And like, that's so perfect. And that is what I try to impart on my podcast or just whenever I'm talking to someone about the practice of magic, which is, you know, I think of kind of spell books, similarly to how I think about cookbooks, Mm -hmm. which is like, these are suggestions. They're really, it's great to have recipes that someone else wrote. It's a great way of learning the basics. But you become a chef when you start being like, oh, wait a second. I don't have that ingredient, but I have this other thing. And I intuitively love the flavor of this other thing. Mm-hmm. And and so it is with witchcraft. I think people get freaked out because they're like, oh, fuck, I don't have 19 rose petals and a piece <laughs> of onyx or whatever the hell. It's like, those are suggestions and foundational outlines, but whatever you have in your home right now, I promise you is enough. And trusting your own artistry and creativity and self-expression is a big part in making your magic as potent as possible. Yeah, that's, I I think um, that's what really resonates with me as someone who really enjoys cooking and I consider cooking somewhere where I express my magic. Um, especially after a year and a half in quarantine, I um, <laughs> haven't been relying as much on Uber Eats and Grubhub as I do when I'm on, <laughs> on the road. Um, but I always 
with cooking and with spells, um, both things, I start with a recipe the first time I do it, um, especially if it's something more complex than I'm used to, um, whether that's uh, ratatouille or um, a, a prote- protection charm. <laughs> and then, <laughs> or protective ratatouille. Yeah. And then, um, basically, then after I followed a recipe once, if I go back to creating that dish or that spell, um, I will kind of trust my intuition more and I would build off of the recipe that I used the first time. So um, one thing that I make um, repeatedly uh, is fiery protection oil. And the first time I was making it, it was for a specific spell. And the spell in one encyclopedia says, and then you use your fiery protection oil. And I'm like, should I just have that around here already? (laughs) So then I had to look up in another encyclopedia how to make fiery protection oil. Um, But now it's one of the things that I just like, if I'm having a day where I'm feeling inspired to, I might do a few spells or might work on a few like um, oils. And um, I always work in a little fiery protection oil because it's my favorite thing to make now. (laughs) Oh, gorgeous. Does it smell good? It does smell good, um, but it has a lot of warming spices in it. So Mm. um, I've had friends like, I'm like, would you like uh, to... uh, this is where we get into the like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sound so weird saying all of this, but that's what we're here for. Um, when there were a lot of protests going on in Portland um, last summer um, for the Black Lives Matter movement, um, lots of friends in the community were coming to my house to stash stuff um, before they like, you know, like leave their bags and their important thing things here and then set out on foot for the protests. Mm-hmm. And um you know, we would supply them with the things they would need, should tear gas be used and all that kind of stuff. And I would oftentimes offer for them to anoint themselves with the fiery protection oil if they wanted to. And um, the only thing you need to know is when you're rubbing like cayenne pepper (laughs) anywhere on your skin, you're probably going to deal with some irritation so um yeah careful of those delicate tissues (laughs) yeah but mostly i use it um i i use fiery protection oil like uh in the doorways in my house all the entrances around my house and then i i use it in specific spells and that's probably my biggest go-to i guess i need a lot of protection these days (laughs) don't be all my friend but you know what i i want to add to that because I think it is such an act of generosity and love to offer to give someone some protective magic in a situation like the one you're describing, the protests. Um, You know, certainly I wouldn't say, hey, that's the only thing you need. In the same way, I wouldn't say only put that on and then ride in a car and don't buckle your seatbelt. Like, Of course, you still need to buckle your seatbelt and you still need to be safe and pragmatic in the material world. But offering someone protection on the spiritual level that makes them feel strong and loved and cared for so they can be fueled up to do the real work of social justice and, you know, reforming society in all the ways that it needs to. I think that is such a gift, Jinx. And it's not a small one. Like, I think that is just as necessary as anything else. Well, I think what I love most about witchcraft and um what I was saying about kind of marrying my belief in science and logic with my spirituality and my 
witchcraft as a philosophy is we know how powerful the brain is. And we know that when you believe something inherently inside yourself that has the power to manifest in reality, um, in your in your physical being, in the way you respond to the physical world. And I think spells, if nothing else, if you want to look at spells as a very powerful placebo, it's like when you put in the time and the work and the effort and the toil into a spell, that's already part of the magic. And that's kind of like getting your brain to the place where your brain is also doing the work um, to make that spell real for you, and and then it manifests in in your physical life when you when you open yourself up to that experience. And I always say that's what crystals do for me is when I know that like uh, this amethyst is supposed to cleanse my ego. When I'm looking at the amethyst, I'm thinking I'm cleansing my ego, and I think even just that is doing part of the work. It's like looking at it and thinking, this is what it's supposed to do, so that's what it's going to do. And even if it's occurring inside of me, um, of course, I, you know, it's like finding the marriage between um, this thing can do this for me, but also I can do this for myself. And Mm -hmm. it's a physical artifact to attribute to something that's happening on the inside of you. And... That's that's how I've always that's how I've worked with witchcraft now, so that the the cynical part of me um, doesn't get too irritated with the hippie woo woo part of me. <laughs> I, I, I totally get it, and if that works for you and that framework makes sense for you, beautiful. Like I'm a, I'm a real like whatever gets you there kind of witch. <laughs> Other people really do believe they're communing with the spirits or their ancestors or the immaterial realm, and for them that's really real. And to all of this, I say, like, I don't fucking know. Like, I really don't know how it works and neither do you. Like, like, and, and so whatever, whatever framework you need to like make it feel okay for yourself, I think is just fine. You know, I kind of lie somewhere in between all of these spaces. Like part of me is like, okay, maybe this is something, maybe I'm just tricking myself or I'm triggering my brain's theta theta waves or whatever to like operate in this other way could be could also be that there's a lot we don't understand we don't know what happens when we die we don't know you know what happens to the spirit maybe my grandmother's really are there in some way, shape, or form when I'm calling on them for help. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. But I do know when I light a candle to my ancestors, it feels really fortifying. And that when I've asked them for help, things usually work out pretty yeah. well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really can't pretend to know how it works. I just know that if it didn't, I wouldn't bother with it. That's beautiful. And I do think there's something to be said for, um, you know, I think we're always learning in hindsight, um, like, oh, that's why that worked. And since we're not since we're not so far into the future that we can fully understand everything that's happening now, you know, why not keep an open mind to the possibility that there's a lot of things that could be taking place all at once to create the magic that we experience, you know, and whether that's spirits and um, a spiritual realm thing, or whether that's an undiscovered superhuman ability that lies with 
in us and is dormant and will mutate and take over someday, <laughs> you know. Exactly. It I could mean, be any and all of that. <laughs> there's alternative, you know, realities and maybe a spell is just a message you're giving to your future self. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It could be all of these things. It could, it could. And, and I love thinking about it, but I also don't worry myself too much about trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. But, I love mystery, and yeah. I think mystery is a really important aspect of being a human being. And that doesn't mean I also don't want answers, and I very much believe in truth and facts and mm-hmm. all of that and science. Um, but I also think mystery and awe and curiosity and asking questions is such a beautiful aspect of getting to be a human being too, and I don't want to disenchant myself from that. Yeah, I I think that's lovely. And I um, also can't help but mention that there's just something inherently punk rock about witchcraft, you know. And we've talked about um, being counter patriarchal. Um, I also think about like, you know, I was raised with the idea that if um, you, you have an ailment, if you have any kind of illness, the only thing that's going to help you with that is pharmaceutical treatment. But of course, you know, the 90s brought on uh, a more open-mindedness to ancient practices. And it's like, how could they have survived this long if they're not doing some good, you know? <laughs> so it's yeah. like, um, I'm I'm doing acupuncture right now to help with arthritis pain. And that's something that I think as a kid, oh, don't worry about it. Every drag queen has arthritis, whether she knows that's what it is or not. But (laughs) you don't wear stiletto heels and a corset every day and not deal with some sort of pain. But Mm -hmm. what I was getting at is that like I was kind of raised in a very like um, pharmaceutical centric uh, uh, understanding of how to treat things when of course, there's lots of different ways to treat ailments. And um, when when we're not letting the powers that be, when we're not letting our society or our government tell us how to think 100% of the time and we're not letting them control the way we live our lives, you're open to different solutions to the same problem. <laughs> that's, that's just it. And they can work in relationship mm-hmm. with each other. I mean, there's this phrase that gets bandied around a lot these days, which is both and. But <laughs> but I, I really see myself as a both and witch and not an either or witch in the same way I approach my body where, yeah, if I need to take birth control, which I appreciate very much. <laughs> oh, I take, you know, birth control. I take hormones and I know they're not great for me, but I really like what they let me do yeah. in my life, right? That's a choice I've made. At the same time, I try to do as much natural healing. And, you know, I studied green witchery and herbalism for a long time. And that's a big part of my health care and wellness. And so to your point, it's both and you yeah. can be all of these things. And that's what I, I think uh, I certainly didn't understand at first about witchcraft. And I think any aversion I had to self-identifying as a witch earlier in life 
was really based off of um, conceptions that have been pushed on to me. And and then the idea that you have to go fully in one direction and, and give up um, any other beliefs you might hold. And that's why I don't adhere to organized religion in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. So why would I adhere to that in my witchcraft? You know, <laughs> it's, it's... That's right. And I, I think when people see that um, it's really about the way that you choose to practice um, that defines the type of witch you can be. And and that's what I hope our listeners learned from our conversation today. <laughs> I hope so too. Witchcraft is so personal. There's no one path. And it is so much about trusting yourself and your intuition and your instincts and just whatever it is that makes you come alive, you know, that it it really is as simple as that. So <laughs> I love that there are drag witches and tattoo witches and Jew witches and Catholic witches and everything in between. You know, it's all welcome. I have one last witch related question and okay. then a couple that have nothing to do with witchcraft to close us out. Um, my first question is what would be your favorite pop culture witch figure or favorite <sighs> um, cultural depiction of a witch and your least favorite? Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is something I could talk about all fucking day. <laughs> Uh, because I I love pop culture witches. I love pop a culture. <laughs> and um, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, do any depictions of witches offend you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, because I think showing a villainous, horrific witch is part of the archetype too. It's all about our fears and fantasies of feminine power, right? Um, my favorite witch in pop culture. You know, have you ever seen the movie Bell, Book, and Candle? No, I don't think so, no. Okay. Gosh, I think it came out in, I should know this because I wrote about it (laughs) in my book. (laughs) Um, I think it came out either in the 50s or early 60s. And it stars Kim Novak. She is this glamorous witch. Jimmy Stewart's in it. It's like, uh, it takes place in... You know, I think it's the West Village. There's like a weird Bleecker Street jazz club that's underground that's called something like, I think it's called like the Zodiac Club, baby, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And just like her fashion is on point and she's really beautiful and glamorous. So yeah, I just, it's one of my comfort movies. So that's that's probably one of my favorites. I also really loved. Did you see the horror movie The Witch that came out in 2016? Yes, I had to. I I, I went to see it in theaters, um, a little bit tipsy with some friends, and we were very obnoxious, and we had to leave because we all realized we were a little too drunk to be out in public <laughs> around people. So then I watched it again um, about a year later, just myself in my living room, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh yeah, and I just think you know. I I mean, now we all know that Anya (laughs) Taylor-Joy is like the best actor ever, but she is so brilliant in that film. And that film really does a beautiful job of of exploring the archetype of the witch. And I don't want to spoil the end, but let's just say I love love the witch we are left with in the end Mm -hmm. of that film. It's just a really... I don't know. People interpret the end differently. For me, I thought it was really positive and radical and juicy. 
and delicious, some might say. <laughs> um, and then in terms of my least favorite, I don't know. You know, people always assume I love all horror movies because I'm into witchcraft, but I actually don't like really gory stuff. Um, so any witch that's just like disgusting to look at <laughs> and, and nobody's even coming to mind. I'm, I'm sure as soon as we stop, I'll remember who, but like there's some really grotesque witches mm-hmm. and I'm not offended by it. I just like don't want to look at it all the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it just spooks me out. I'm trying to think of, um, I mean, I have so many favorites. I, I think for the purpose of this conversation, I'll just say my favorite is Myrtle Snow because I can always identify with Myrtle Snow from <laughs> Coven and uh, mm-hmm. American Horror Story. Um, I also really love Miranda Richardson playing the witch in um, Sleepy Hollow, which I only saw for the first time oh, recently. And she's just one of my favorite one. actresses. And then that witch in that movie is just so everything you want from witches short of being super glamorous and beautiful. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's incredible. Hey, Jinx, did you hear that they're doing Hocus Pocus 2? Yes, yes. Are I know. you excited? I am very excited. I mean, I, I'm. there's a part of me that wants to be nervous because please don't ruin one of my favorite movies from my childhood mm-hmm. by coming out mm-hmm. with... My only fear is whoever's making the sequel better have done their research for why we love the first one. You know, mm-hmm. I nothing makes me more sad than when like something is such a queer icon um a a queer cult film like hocus pocus and then somehow someone finds a way to take all the queerness out of it so i hope that midler's still camp as hell i hope sarah jessica parker i i just i mean i have all the faith in the performers i just hope the people in charge of the movie know why we love it and don't um don't shy away from giving us more of that. <laughs> Absolutely. From your lips to the goddess. <laughs> I'd say my, I'm going to say my least favorite depiction of a witch is, um, but I also love it. I just want to say my least favorite <laughs> so I can bring it up. Um, Cause she's really weird. Uh, it's, oh gosh, it's a really weird, dark comedy horror movie called Hansel and Gretel get baked or Hansel and Gretel get stoned or something. And, <laughs> I can't remember um, who plays the witch in it. Dipper might look it up before we're done with the podcast and then I can say, but it's just a really ridiculous movie. And it's all about this woman who is a drug dealer, but that's just her front to get young people into her house so that she can eat them for her for her dark magic. And oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a really scary comedy. I don't even know if it was meant to be a comedy, but it's one of those horror movies that you have to laugh at. It was Laura Flynn Boyle playing the oh, witch. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Witch Agnes. Thank you, Dipper. Dipper's always by my side. Um, okay, Last two questions, nothing to do with witchcraft. Who is your celebrity crush? <gasps> like a sexual crush? I, I, I've i stopped trying to define it for people. First, I wanted it to be like a sexy crush, but then I'm like, I should, I should acknowledge all different types of crushes. So when you hear the uh. word celebrity crush, who comes to mind? <laughs> okay, I'm so old school, so I'm going to use it as a sexual crush. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Ah, so the person I'm going to mention, I also feel embarrassed about because I have to Google him all the time to be like, is he of age? Is this okay? 
And that would be, and also it's very basic. I feel so embarrassed, but Jinx, I trust you and I will admit that it is Harry Styles, man. Okay. I think Harry Styles is gorgeous. I love gender fluidity. I'm very attracted to it. And I know people are like, he's not really gender fluid. He's just acting, whatever. I like a man in lace. I like a man with a smoky eye. It just works for me. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'll say a few things to alleviate some of this guilt you're um, (laughs) talking about. First of all, lots of times people are older than they look, especially in Hollywood. You know, Mm -hmm. like sometimes a person will be playing a high school student on a sitcom or something, but then you look them up and they're like 25. So no shame there. Um, At least you're looking looking up that they're of age before you start up. I, I Google it like once a year and I'm like, are we sure? <laughs> and then second of all, I, I understand and I think it's worth having the conversation about like um, queer baiting, you know, mm-hmm. and someone trying to project that they are more gender fluid or more queer adjacent than they actually are to gain the support of the queer audience. And then also isn't a part of the progress that we are striving for is that a straight man can dress how he likes to dress without worry about his sexuality inherently being called into question or having to explain why he dresses in lace and pink or whatever. I mean, isn't that part of the work that we're doing? So I think all feelings um, should, you know, we should all talk it, talk through it, but leave room for maybe Harry Styles just likes to dress that way. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I, I will say when I was young, and I actually write about this in Waking the Witch, like a really formative sexual experience for me was watching Rocky Horror and oh, being absolutely. like, oh my God, Tim Curry like does it for me, like really does it for me. <laughs> and it's like, huh, I'm 12. Like, what's that about? <laughs> you know what I mean? David Bowie and Labyrinth, come mm-hmm. the fuck on. Like that was also just like life changing for me. So yeah, I, I can unpack it all day, but you know, it, the heart wants what it wants, Jinx. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a celebrity crush for today because I always have I, I, my list is endless. Um, what I'll say is uh, um, Eddie Redmayne. Um, and <laughs> he's definitely Whoa. a celebrity crush. And even though the um, Fantastic Beasts movies are not not what I love about the Harry Potter world, um, I feel like it focuses on the things I'm less interested in. But Eddie Redmayne is a delight in those movies and just such a charming little um, nerd witch. So (laughs) totally. Final question. What is your go to karaoke song? Um, Be My Baby by the Ronettes. (laughs) Be my, be my Mm -hmm. baby. Okay, that's. That's a classic. I feel like I was riding in a car with Ben de la Creme this last weekend um, because we had a photo shoot we were doing for our upcoming holiday tour that's happening this year. And um, she had a playlist and it was all like 60s girl groups. And then we get to the photo studio and the photographer who photographs like all the burlesque performers in Seattle basically was playing the same playlist without knowing we were just <laughs> listening to it in the car. And I think there's like a collective like 
witches and drag queens and burlesque performers and anyone who loves anything vintage. We all listen to 60 girl, 60s girl groups. It's like our collective um, playlist between all these different uh, it's groups It's so of people. good. <laughs> and like, I am just a sucker for pining. I love a song <laughs> where someone's just like pining mm-hmm. and I love to sing as if, you know, the love will never be requited. <laughs> so yeah, that it just does it for me. Well, thank you so much, Pam Grossman, for being on my podcast today. And you are just one of my favorite people to talk to. And I always feel like I leave our conversations feeling a little bit more like, oh, I can't wait to cast a spell. I can't wait to um, share with Kenny what I learned today. (laughs) Um, So it's always a joy to talk to you. Where can our followers um, find you on the Internet should they want to become a newfound obsessor of your work? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The easiest is PamGrossman.com. And that will lead you to all the socials and all the goodies. Perfect. And that's Grossman with two S's. Your autocorrect will try to change it, but do not let it. And then my podcast, The Witch Wave. And, you know, it's a show where I talk to people who identify as witches or who are interested in witchcraft from a whole host of different uh, backgrounds and identities. So, Jinx, you've been on there. We have, you know, musicians and scholars and practicing witches and lawyers and everything in between. It's it's a really, really fun time. It absolutely is. And I love that our two podcasts, we've now um, you you do me a favor, I do you a favor. <laughs> yeah. um. Crossing the streams. <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Pam Grossman, for being my guest today. And thank you all for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx! (laughs) Forever! To listen to Hi Jinx ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.